Welcome, Docs and Jocks Nation. This week, we have Tampa Bay Rays former GM and current MLB scout and TCU baseball alum, Chuck Lamar. Also, we have an interview with seven-time ACL surgery survivor, Jenna Manichi, and more of your sports medicine stories. Here's Dr. Dan. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a Hey, welcome back to Docs and Josh, your sports medicine radio show. So glad you're back this week. Hey, if you're just catching our sports medicine radio show for the first time, you can always find out more about our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Be part of our show that way. Or you go to our iTunes podcast and listen to our show anytime, anywhere by going to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X on your iTunes uh, podcast app. Hey, great to have you with us today. My name is Dr. Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. What I do in my day job is basically take care of athletes with different shoulder, heat, nip, hip. Nip. What is that, Ferris? That's a new body part. I just, I just named right there. <laughs> Hip, knee, uh, ankle problems. I don't know any of them. I don't know, whatever. But but I do. Uh, what, basically, what I do in my day job, I do here on Docs and Jocks, and that's talk about different injuries to different athletes. And uh, we try and make it simple to understand and kind of when your player might be coming back, uh, what those injuries entail, how serious they are. And uh, we talk about everything in the sports medicine world, whether it's performance-enhancing drugs or workout routines. Uh, man, we have some great guests on today. But before I introduce them, introduce my co-host, Ferris Potter. Uh, Ferris is the longtime voice of Grand Canyon University, where he's been doing sports broadcasting for the last couple decades. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, man. Always look forward to it every week. Hey, this is a great week, too, Ferris. Our next segment after our first one here, our next one's going to be have an interview with uh, Tampa Bay Rays general manager, former general manager, and current Major League Baseball scout and former TCU baseball player Chuck Lamar. He was in charge of player development fairs for the uh, mid uh, 80s and early 90s Atlanta Braves and uh, for the early uh, Pittsburgh Pirates back in the 80s when they had Barry Bonds, Andy Van Slyke, those guys going. So a couple of the greatest teams in baseball history. He was uh, their uh, player development guy, and then he became the general manager, the very first one for the Tampa Bay Rays. It'll be fun uh, picking Chuck Lamar's brain about some of the baseball stuff that he's learned over the last 40, 50 years. And then, Ferris, we're going to have on later on the show, man, we're going to have on, get this, seven-time, yeah, seven-time ACL surgery survivor Jenna Minecci. She, she is uh, a remarkable lady who's now doing rehab with athletes. Who better to do it if you've been through an ACL reconstruction and knee surgery seven times? We'll be talking to Jenna about how she has learned to overcome that, both from a physical standpoint and a, a mental standpoint. So a lot of stuff to talk about here on this week's uh, Docs and Jock Sports Medicine Radio Show. Hey, remember, we can always uh, take your your questions, too. All you have to do is go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can email us your question and contact us, and we'd love to have you be part of our show that way as well. So stay tuned here with us. We'll be right back with your Sports Medicine Radio Show and a couple of our great guests on Docs and Jocks, your Sports Medicine Radio Show. The Forge Training Facility, formerly D1, is the only sports training facility in West Texas that utilizes components of mental, physical, and spiritual training for adults and youth. With a wide variety of boot camps and strength classes throughout the day, our elite coaches will help you set and accomplish your goals. There is no better place or time to join. Come in or visit our website, theforgeabling.com, and get a one-week free trial. The Forge Abling, where iron sharpens iron, changing lives one workout at a time. 
No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene Training Facility. If you ever want to find out more about the Forge Abilene Training Facility, you can do so by going to theforgeabilene.com, and there you can find out if it might be the place for you to start exercising. It's always a small group setting with your group of like-minded peers with a personal coach at every visit. So, hey, if you want to find out if it might be the place for you, go to the Forge Abilene and uh, check it out. Hey, I do want to say I had one of those great hook and ladder uh, salads today, Ferris, man. It was awesome. I tell you what, Firehouse Subs are good for Chad Fulkerson there always sets us up. It is a great place to eat in a great way. I actually been doing uh, Ferris. This is a uh, Ferris is the guy who's kind of talked me into this. I've been trying uh, paleo, primal, keto, whatever you want to call it. But man, Ferris, I, I, I feel much better as far as when I work out. When I do that type of uh, eating, I don't know. It's, I think believe it's the carbs that were causing me to be up and down with my blood sugar, my insulin level. But I feel like my endurance is much better. Did you notice that when you started uh, doing uh, the ketogenic, paleo, primal type workout and cutting down on, on the simple sugars that you felt like you had more endurance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, more endurance um, and just felt better overall. Yeah. You know, and I think you're right. It's, you know, it's the carbs kind of up and down spiking things. And when you get to where you're burning fat for fuel more than, uh, carbs for fuel your body's got that stored and ready to go and uh it's just a more efficient way to to live so yeah. yeah once you get once you get there man it's great and of course you know you can uh you can find the good stuff to eat there at firehouse subs it fits right into what you're I trying know. to do man that's what i did today at lunch exactly our good friend chad Fulkerson allows us to do that so great way to do it so he'll give them a big plug Hey, I want to jump right into our a couple of our big stories in the news. Remember, right after this segment, we're going to have on uh, the former T- Tampa Bay, uh, used to be the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, now the Tampa Ray- Bay Rays uh, general manager, Chuck Lamar, talking all things baseball. So don't want to miss that if you uh, want to stay tuned here coming up on our next segment. But, man, uh, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, currently uh, sitting in the cellar fighting out the uh, cellar-dweller position with your Phoenix Suns, Ferris. The Mavericks have definitely <laughs> fallen on hard times with uh, Dirk Nowitzki, uh, New Orleans Noel's now out, now out. So anyway, he's had a lot of bad luck this year, and also the team has gotten a little bit older, a little less athletic. So Mark Cuban uh, does. Uh, remember, Coach Popovich has been sitting his players for the last few years, resting them in preparation for the playoffs. And we've had a hard time with that, saying, "Man, is that the right thing?" From a sports medicine standpoint, it probably makes sense because your players little little less risk for an injury, a little less risk for fatigue going into a grueling playoff schedule and so we gave coach Popovich a little bit of uh, wiggle room to say well maybe he's doing it for a less injury approach and maybe that's okay though he did get fined uh, as well but Mark Cuban comes out basically trying that same approach but tells his team he goes uh, instead of resting his players he basically says if my team tanks the rest of the season I would be okay with that and what he's meaning and you and I both know what he means and it's truthful we understand what they're saying you get that first round, you get a better chance of getting that number one pick overall, right? So he's saying, if we're going to tank, if we're, if we're bad already, if we're this bad that we're in last place, let's go all in. Let's go all in and just tank our tank it and let's uh, see how bad we can be so we get a better chance of getting the number one overall pick. Problem with that is uh, 
NBA Commissioner Adam Silver did not find that amusing, lighthearted, funny, uh, interesting in any way, shape, or form and fined him to the tune of $600,000. I don't even care if you're Mark Cuban and you're a, you're a billionaire, whatever he is. That's still a big chunk of change, man, $600,000. So, first of all, Ferris, give me your take. Uh, is it? Do you feel like in the NBA – given uh, the price of the tickets never go down if their star players aren't playing, to tell your players to tank it or to set your star players so they can be rested going to playoffs. Give me your take on both of those situations. Well, you know what Popovich does, I mean, look, the goal is to win a championship, right? Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. So, I mean, I don't like it. If I buy a ticket, I don't want to go and not see the stars play. But at the same time, I totally get why he's doing it because he's doing it to win. Right. I mean, yeah. Mark Cuban is just putting a voice to what uh, I would say probably a good third of the teams are doing, but yeah. not admitting that they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And so Leave Mark it gets fined for it, right? Yeah. Because he just can't help himself. But I, I do have a problem with tanking because to me, I think it sets a bad tone for the culture of the organization. You kind of get that loser mentality when you try to lose. And I don't care whether you're the worst player in the NBA or the best player, you got there uh, for a reason as a player. And you got there by never, ever, ever wanting to lose. Like, you always want to win. And so I think it's hard for those guys uh, to do that. And, and so I don't like it, but I think it's kind of silly for Adam Silver to find Mark Cuban $600,000. I mean, look, the Suns, last year the Suns said Eric Bledsoe the last, like, 20 games of the year. And they said it was, oh, because we wanted to see how these young guys did. No, you didn't. You wanted to lose games. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. just because Mark Cuban said it, he gets fined is kind of silly, but I, I don't like taking. I think it has long-lasting effects that hurts the culture of your team. So I actually don't think it's a very smart thing to do, but I think it's stupid to get fined for saying it because everybody else is doing it too. Yeah, the part I understand about Cuban, he's a businessman. If you're a, if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan and you hear the owner say that you're going to tank the rest of the season, why on, why on God's green earth would you pay the exorbitant prices to go watch an NBA game that the Dallas Mavericks right. are involved in? I just think from a business standpoint, why would you do that? Had nothing to do like Popovich at least says, I'm resting my players because I want them to be fully functional when they go in the playoffs. I don't want them to be injured. I don't want them to feel tired. I don't want them to be fatigued. My team's a little older, and I'm willing to get them into the playoffs. I totally agree. I think the Popovich thing has some reasoning to it from a medical standpoint, sports medicine standpoint. I think Mark Cuban has nothing but that's just selfish. I want the number one pick. I'm not going to play my team. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. The other thing is it has not been a banner week for the Dallas Mavericks as their president of basketball operations was accused of sexual harassment and environment of sexual harassment this week. Oops. Yeah, so it's been, <laughs> been a rough week. $600,000 fine, and then you find out your, your uh, president of basketball operations is under investigation. So a lot of hey, stuff Dr. going on, Dan, Dallas. here's yeah. what I've never understood either. The teams that are saying, like the Sun, oh, we're going to tank, guess what? You don't have to tank. No. You're already, you're already in terrible. last place because you're really bad. You were trying and you, you were in last place. You can still try to win you're and you not going to win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I went to the Dallas Mavericks game and, uh, man, Dirk is uh, not playing any defense, never played much on his, uh, you know, when he was at his heyday. So he's playing very little defense. The players that I saw out there just really had no way to stop the opposing team. So I, I no, totally they agree. they weren't good enough. They're just I mean, not good. You're, you're not good yeah. enough. So you don't have to try to take yeah. The Suns had four 40-point losses in their entire history in 50 years, and they've already got four 40-point losses this year. Yeah. They don't have to try to think. They should try to play as hard as they can so yeah. these guys get used to what it takes to play hard in the NBA. 
and they're still going to lose a bunch more yeah. games. Be proud. You've earned that last position. Yeah. Good Lord, man. I don't know what's yeah. going on with these two teams. <laughs> play, play hard. I mean, you know how hard it is. I mean, it's funny. There are some teams, it's very rare that a team can just turn it off and turn it on. And I think you develop a culture of losing when you start doing that stuff. And uh, I think that culture is harder to break than, you know, getting a few good picks here and there and, and getting some free agents. So, I, yeah, I'm, I hate everybody talks about it. That's probably why Silver did it, but um, I, I've never understood. Anybody who is any good at sports at a high level, the thing they hate the most, they, they hate losing more than they like winning. Yeah. So to, to then that's all of a sudden tell them to lose. Yeah. They, they, I mean, I don't care who these guys are. They hate it. They don't want to lose, man. Yeah, it is surprising from Cuban because he is a guy that seems on the outside to hate losing so bad that maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's his overall willingness to want to turn this franchise around quickly and stop the losing that he said that. You know, but any, however he did it, it just didn't come off right. I sure wouldn't want to go to Dallas Mavericks <laughs> game after hearing that. But he seems like a guy who's crazy about winning. It's not that many years removed from their NBA championship. That's what's so crazy is this team is really following yeah. difficult, difficult times. And maybe they've stuck with Dirk a little too long. I don't know. But it's going to be hard to turn that team around. Speaking of a team that has a winning tradition, the San Antonio Spurs, Kawhi Leonard, their star forward, he gets a medical release from his quadriceps strain that said kept him out since October. He's now been medically released, but he now comes out and states publicly that he is not ready. And uh, what's interesting about this is he's been seeking out an outside specialist outside of the team's purview, and they, he basically said, I'm following a guy that's not part of the team. I'm following his advice. I probably uh, am not ready. I don't, want, I don't feel ready. And it's now the word is coming out that he most likely won't be back for the rest of the season with a quad strain which is pretty unusual. Typically muscular strains, and there's different grades of muscular strains. There's anywhere, anywhere from, you know, it hurts, but you don't see anything on imaging studies uh, to, to, to as far as a, the muscle pulling apart all the way to a full rupture. You can, you know, rupture your one of your quadriceps muscles like your rectus femoris, and it's a full-on, you know, your muscle balled up in your leg. So there's those different grades, and there's a couple in between those two. And so, but typically when you have a quad strain, you're talking – four, six weeks. Man, this has been since October, so we're already into five-month territory. Now he's not talking about playing at all, so he may miss the entire season with a quad strain, which is very, very unusual. So I don't know the circumstances or the depth or the grade of his injury, but this is a long time for a quad injury for sure. And to be following the specialists outside of the team's recommendation, this, this all smells kind of funny. I don't know, Doctor. I don't know if you knew this, but I had a groin injury uh, years ago. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't talk about it much. But yeah, you've never mentioned it here. I was only on out air. a couple of months. I, mean, I only missed a couple of months for that, and I'm not even a pro athlete. So, yeah, five months for a quad strain. I had heard rumors that he kind of wanted out and wanted to like go play with like a LeBron or a Paul Pierce or a Russell Westbrook. Terrible way to do it. He didn't want to be the guy. He wanted to go. And yeah, this year you're right. This smells like that. Like he's just trying to get himself out of Dodge. Yeah. And that's not going to go over well with Pop. I, no. I mean, he's a great player. Pop loves him, but I'm thinking Pop might not be too too much of a fan anymore. Yeah, it may have been healed your groin injury in two months, but you talked about it for at least five or six months. I don't remember bringing it up, <laughs> but I mean, if you say so, I don't. I don't. I don't recall that really. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It is very. This is the longest quad strain that I have ever heard of in my sports medicine career. Yeah, doesn't mean it's not real, and it doesn't mean the quads mentally not ready to go back, but. It is odd that it's taken this long, and uh, I know that we we've actually had on air the San Antonio's team, San Antonio Spurs team doctor. So, 
He's he's excellent. The guys uh, that we've dealt with with the San Antonio Spurs that we've talked to here on air are excellent, excellent doctors. So why he's going outside the team physicians, I don't know, but uh, very, very odd. And he may not be ready. I mean, we hear this story all the time. We've heard this with uh, Derek Rhodes was a common example after an ACL rupture and uh, reconstruction. He came back, uh, was ready, cleared to come back, but chose to spend another two to three months before he was mentally prepared. So the difference is with the quad strain, you know, how much mental anguish have you had because it hasn't, right? you know, and, and what are you mentally yep. preparing from? <laughs> so it's just, just a different take on this whole injury with Kawhi Leonard. Hopefully he'll be back next year in the San Antonio Spurs uniform because I like the Spurs. They have such a great winning tradition that they need him if they're going to go on to the next level. Hey, when we come back, we're going to be interviewing Chuck Lamar, former general manager for the Tampa Bay Rays, current scout for Major League Baseball. We'll be right back with that and more here on Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio. Homer's Bar Music Venue is a new venue in Abilene, Texas, bringing you great drink specials, gaming area, and the greatest music from nationals and locals. Check them out at 4201 North 1st Street here in Abilene, Texas. Homer's Bar Music Venue. Their grand opening is March 3rd. Be there. Video show. You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport Inspired. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Hey, Ferris, we are very, very honored to have online today Chuck Lamar. Chuck is a former Tampa Bay Devil Rays general manager, as well as he's a current Major League Baseball scout. He played his college baseball with San Jacinto and TCU, Texas Christian University, Horned Frogs baseball program. He is a Texas native and so glad to have him online. Chuck, thanks so much for being on Docs and Jocks. Uh, Dr. Dan, my pleasure. First of all, big shout-out to our uh, mutual friend, Mike Compton, one of the uh, greatest uh, baseball guys, minds in all of baseball. He was catching coordinator with the Phillies and played uh, professionally with the Reds. I want to say thank you to Mike for having you on. Yeah, he's a personal friend and one of the best baseball people I've met in my 34 years in professional baseball. He's uh, uh, just a quality instructor, an uh, outstanding mind in the strength and uh, development areas uh, for young players and just a just a, a personal friend. I appreciate the recommendation. Well, you know, your career is uh, incredibly interesting. You've had over 50 years in baseball, being professional baseball, whether it's a scout, general manager, player yourself. And uh, you've, we're going to talk about you being the uh, player development and scouting coordinator for the Pittsburgh Pirates in their heyday. The Braves, probably one of the greatest teams ever put together. You helped do that, as well as the Tampa Bay Devil Rays where you were general manager. But let's start back in uh, your career, how you got started. You have a family tradition of your grandfather all the way, you and your brother, uh, both playing ball. So tell us your family history. Yeah, athletics and baseball especially have been part of my life. My granddad played professional baseball in the Pacific Coast League. My, my dad played for the Boise Pilots in the Pioneer League back when uh, that was Class D baseball when they had that many minor league yeah. teams. And yeah. my, my brother Danny was a first-round pick of the Cincinnati Reds out of Bel Air High School, played for Ray Knobloch, uh in Houston, Texas, won a state championship there. And and uh, so, you know, I, I started out as a high school coach and teacher, and and uh, I'm now starting my 34th year in professional baseball. So oh, wow. it's been a great run great run for me personally and for my family, and uh, baseball's been awfully good. Hey, one of the things I want to ask you about, you're now a Major League Baseball scout with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, so you're always looking at great talent. You yourself were a three-sport captain and played multiple different sports. Do you like those players when you're out there scouting who uh, can play multiple sports and are athletic and not just baseball, but all, all the endeavors they do? Yes, sir, I do, and I, and I like it a lot. And I would stress to all the young 
athletes and parents out there that let their sons continue to play as many sports as possible. The problem, Dan, is now with all the travel teams yes. taking up the summers, There's a, and all the coaches, I hate to use the word selfish, selfishness about their programs, but they want their players to be all around in yeah. one sport, and I truly believe it helps a young man or, or, or young woman's competitiveness, uh, just their overall athleticism. I, I think they need to break uh, from one sport to another, and I emphasize, I, I love, as I walk in the ballpark and scout a young player that uh, is, is good at multiple sports. That's awesome. Hey, we're talking to Chuck Lamar, uh, currently a big league scout with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, former GM with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays here on Docs and Jocks. Ferris, you have a question for Chuck? Yeah, Chuck, following up on that last answer you had, Everybody we talk to, from the college coaches to professional, you know, coaches, scouts, GMs, they all say the same thing you just did, yet kids still feel all that pressure to just be on the baseball field, you know, nine months out of the year. Do you, do you think that's ever going to change? Or, or, you know, parents are spending a boatload of money, sending them, sending them all these things. Yet everybody we talk to says the same thing you do. Man, I wish you would just play three or four different sports and take some time off. No, I don't think it's going to change, but I think that's where the parents – and the young man uh, has to step in and say, "No, this is what I'm going. This is what I'm going to do." And we have so many pitching injuries, and and you know as well, both of you, Doctor Dan, know as well as I do where some of those injuries are coming from. And I think lack of rest, especially as much as they're throwing and as hard as they're trying yeah. to throw at a young age, I, I think the multiple sports is is uh, truly the way to go. And 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 then then they'll find their expertise, and it may end up being baseball, but. Uh, uh, Ferris, like you said, uh, uh, so much money is being spent trying to specialize these young men. And truly, what makes the difference and what takes them to the highest level is their overall athleticism. It is not so much all these little baseball skills that they're learning at 12 or 13. We need to make them better athletes overall, better competitors overall, and appreciate athleticism. And, and I, I just, I, I wish somehow we could get them to play multiple sports again. You know, talking about making great athletes and being able to pick out great athletes, uh, three of the clubs that you were initially uh, joined, with, whether you were a scout or the director of player development and scouting, were, was initially the Reds and then the Pittsburgh Pirates from 90-92 uh, to 92 when they won three National League East Division titles. And then you went on to the Braves in the uh, mid-'90s when they're considered probably one of the greatest teams of all time that won the 95 World Series. How were you able to be with uh, – Help develop players that turned in to be some of the best clubs in all of baseball all time. Yeah, I can't think of any baseball man that had a better start in the game than I did. Uh, not not only because of my family background and and being able to do the things I did in the state of Texas growing up, but uh, I was inducted this year in the Texas Scouting Hall of Fame. Oh, and, wow. and, awesome. and 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 I and I told the group the only reason I bring that up is I is I told the group there of my background and starting out with the Cincinnati Reds who at that time and still in my mind is probably the greatest scouting staff that I have ever seen assembled uh, and then to go on to the Pittsburgh Pirates and I was there in the uh, winners of 89 and 90 1990 we played the Cincinnati Reds the team I had just left uh, for the for the national yeah, championship right. and then the winner of 90 I go to the Atlanta Braves and and uh, and we end up playing the Pittsburgh Pirates as you remember in two great Yes. playoffs in, 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 in 91 and 92 and fortunate to be with the Braves in 95. And then, and then, and then I went on to the Philadelphia Phillies uh, after my time in Tampa Bay and won a world championship there uh, with those guys in 2008. So I've been blessed to be around 
a tremendous amount of you know players and and uh, been very fortunate to be three times I've been director of player development so I've I've had a chance to see these young men grow up and become you know in some cases Hall of Famers. Has there ever been a player and I don't I know you'll leave a lot of players I hate to say who's your best player all those kind of questions but has there ever been a player where you just were walking by a batting cage whether it's you know, the Braves, the Phillies, whoever you're with, and you just heard this guy hit, and you're like, just had to stop and watch that guy hit. Has there been one of those guys who was just a showstopper that you're like, wow, that guy has the it? Yeah, two, two of them come to mind um, immediately. Uh, well, we're really three for different reasons. One, Barry Bonds, he yeah, had as a young, a young minor league player and then yeah. a young major league player in Pittsburgh, and and uh, just he was gifted. I mean, from yeah. you know from the start, he, he, was, he was gifted. And I know he went through his up and down, at the end of his career, but truly one of the most gifted baseball players any of us will ever see. I was fortunate to be the director of minor league operations and scouting director with the Braves, and we had a young man by the name of Larry Chipper Jones. Yeah. Uh, wow. had, had him at 18 year old going in the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, had him as an 18 year old uh, player and, and uh, uh, watched him grow in our minor league system and obviously uh, in the major leagues. He had it. Uh, probably as good a combination. He was sort of a George Brett kind of just born oh. to play this game. When you saw him on yeah. the field, saw him in uniform, saw his actions on the field, that just he was born to play this game. And obviously, right. he's in the Hall of Fame. And another guy that sticks out. We we had some great players. Uh, I hate to single out one on that Philadelphia Philly team, 2008, including the late Roy Halladay and, oh, yeah. and Cole Hammonds and Cliff Lee and Ryan Howard, Jimmy right. Rollins, Jason wow. Worth. I mean, just an outstanding team. But the one guy that made us go was Chase Utley. Oh wow! And 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 he was our second baseman. But yeah. I remember him. I remember him as much for his makeup and how he how he went about his daily business and how he you know how he played the game and just. He, he competed every day, day in and day out, every at bat. And so, you know, Bonds was the gifted one, and Chipper had it all, and, and, and Utley was that great example of makeup. And it, it takes all those ingredients to be as good as those guys were. Well, we're talking to Chuck Lamar here on Docs and Jocks, former GM of the Tampa Bay Devil Race Bears. Do you have a question for Chuck? Yeah, Chuck, I mean, you've been involved in the game, uh, you know, from, from from the get-go, you know, as a player and then through the coaching and everything. And I'm sure the scouting has changed with bringing in the analytics. I'm sure you've you've embraced that as well, you know, with what you're doing now. But I mean, is, is there are there still some things you look for that you've always kind of looked for that that tells you, hey, this kid's going to be a good player or not, whether it be analytic stuff or just the eye test. Yeah, you know what, uh, the, the eye test to me still holds. You know, the analytics are tremendous. I wish I had them in Tampa Bay. Uh, uh, when I was the general manager, I think it's revolutionized game at the major league level. But when you're talking about, you know, high school and college players and projecting them and their future, Ferris, the eye test is still awfully important to me. I'll give you a great example and one that you may be familiar with in Grand Canyon. A guy, yeah, right fielder one year by the name of Tim Salmon yeah. that played at, played at Grand Canyon. Well, I saw, Pretty I, good. Saw him as a, I saw him as a college player. And let me tell you, he was coming off an outstanding uh, Cape Cod League the year before yep. his draft, and he was a very known player, and he put so much pressure on himself, made some me- mechanical changes, and struggled mightily his draft year at Grand Canyon. Uh, I mean, mightily. And Bob Fontaine and the California Angels stuck with him and went with his eyes and went with what his instincts and what he saw the year before and made it a franchise changing decision for the California Angels out of wow. uh, out of Grand Canyon College and so yeah I I'm more of an instinctive eyes guy when it comes to the young 
high school and college player. And then when they start to get up to double A, triple A, and major leagues, I think what we're doing now with the analytics is just tremendous. Hey, Chuck, do you remember a slow, non-power hitting third baseman uh, on that Grand Canyon team? Uh, no, 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 sir, I don't. Who was it? That would have been me. That would have been me. I was actually uh, playing with Tim and I. Tim that and I were Dr. Dan. We were I freshmen even together. to be a slow not hitting third base. <laughs> hey, but, but I got to tell you, you talk about scouting. I go in and fly in, and our scout says, you need to see the right hand, I mean, the, the right fielder. This is a true story. They're playing University of Arizona. Yeah. You need to see, you need to concentrate. There. All you need to concentrate on, Chuck, when you fly in is that right fielder at Grand Canyon. Wow. Well, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss some of them, but we, we uh, yeah, uh, a guy named by the name of Scott Erickson uh-huh. was the starting pitcher for Arizona. Arizona, yeah. Um, they had a short. They had a shortstop that couldn't hit, and the Reds took in the seventh or eighth round. He went out and he didn't hit, so they decided to convert him into a pitcher. And Trevor Hoffman oh, uh, yeah, turned out. Wow. Yeah, no, it turned out okay. There was like uh, Chad Curtis. Chip, was on one of those yeah. teams. Chip Hale was yeah. third baseman yeah. for Arizona. Yeah, there was like there was like five or six, uh, sec, uh, five or six major league players on those two teams, and oh, yours truly were super scout and the right fielder. And hell, I said the hell with the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So you got, we got, I shouldn't even have brought up that. Yeah. No, stuff. that's so funny. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, that, that's good to know. I'll have to go back and look at my game. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You know, you made the right decision for sure. Tim was the best of the best. No <laughs> doubt about it. Hey, let's go on to your Tampa Bay Devil Rays day. So you're the very first general manager when this club is formed. So tell us about that process of trying not only to put together a club, but trying to put together a brand new club with the very first year of existence. Yeah. One of the great honors a baseball man will ever have. I was 38 years old. And, and uh, again, I wish I could tell you it was my ability. I was just supposed to be with so many good baseball men and baseball organizations. And it was just sort of the right time for me. And they wanted to build an organization through, scouting and player development and that was my background so i was fortunate enough to be named their first gm and i'll never forget being able to put a staff together a staff yeah. ended up being a tremendous uh, baseball staff there in, in tampa bay uh and and the expansion draft itself the night the arizona and ourselves uh you know officially became you know a major league team by getting major league players there in arizona uh for the expansion draft was a was a situation that you know I will never you know never forget. And I, and I told people you know I I was let go in Tampa Bay, and they went on a couple of years later, and we actually played them in the World Series in 2008, and fortunate to beat them when I was with Philly. But but uh, a lot of the people there uh, that that we hired and were there through all the lean times, you know, helped build them into a championship organization. It was a just a, a, a tremendous opportunity for a young baseball guy. Man, you're talking about making some great signings. Signed Wilson Alvarez, Juan Guzman, Wade Boggs, Roberto Hernandez, and trade for Fred McGriff. Those are some pretty big names you were able to obtain there in Tampa Bay. Yeah, you know, and, but more importantly, the young players that we developed. We had a chance to have an outfield at one time, uh, names that you might remember. The right field we drafted, kids by the name of Josh Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> he had a chance to be really, really yes, good, trust me. Wow. Uh, a center fielder we drafted in the first round, a kid named Rocco Baldelli. Uh, came down with yeah. a serious muscle the problem, but had a chance to be a franchise, the face of the franchise, really. And a left fielder we had at the same time. We had all three of them in the organization at the same time. A kid named Carl Crawford that went on to make uh, you know over $200 million, I think, in his career uh, as a left fielder. And, and all three of those guys were young. We had that kind of you know talent being assembled 
uh, and they went on and, and did very good things. We interviewed a gentleman here named Mark Schuster, who was a general manager at one of the minor league clubs. Then he said, that, I asked him the question, who was the only person that ever turned your head or made you stop what you were doing? You didn't want to miss that at bat. And he said, Josh Hamilton, when he was coming through the minor leagues, he did not want to miss it at bat. Whatever he's doing, he stopped, watched Josh, and went back to doing what he's doing. So Yeah, did, yeah, did something, doctor, that none of us will ever see again. He went from uh, uh, just like two months in double A, and then he got suspended because of his drug problems, missed two, almost three years of baseball. His next at bat was in the major league yeah. and never saw, never saw the minor leagues again. And, and it just, uh, you know, it, it's a, uh, you know, it's a tremendous story in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Hey, we've been interviewing Chuck Lamar here. Chuck, uh, obviously about 30, 40 years in baseball, man, what a great, great wealth of knowledge you have. And man, I appreciate you coming on and giving us some of that wisdom and uh, man, we wish you all the best. So you're with Tampa, you're with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays now, doing Major League Baseball scouting. Hope you'll find that next great gym like you have with so many other baseball players. Thank you so much, Chuck, for being on. I want to say once again, thank you to Mike Compton, your good friend and my good friend, for having you, uh, getting you to, as as our guest. My pleasure. All right, hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Barefoot Studios is the new premier recording studio and record label based right here in West Texas. Come take off your shoes and record the next big hit. Make sure you check out Barefest March 8th through March 10th. More details at Facebook Barefoot Studios Texas. You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name's Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Great to be with you today. Hey, man, if you're just catching our show for the first time want to find out more about our show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com or you can go to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Thanks for making us one of the fastest growing uh, subscriptions to podcasts out there with Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I'd love you to be part of our show that way as well. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Hey, Ferris, how about uh, Chuck Lamar? Former uh, big league scout, remembering my uh, Grand Canyon University team and teammate Tim Salmon. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, you know, he said he didn't remember you, but I'm sure How? he did. I'm sure there was a note on that, that uh, scouting sheet. You know, after <laughs> Sam and after Curtis, after Chip Hale, after Trevor Scott Hoffman, after Scott Erickson, I'm sure down there somewhere was, hey, there's this guy on third that I think he projects to be like a world-class position. Then, I think he's going to be a great doctor. I guarantee Chuck Lamar <laughs> noticed that early on. There was a there's a shining star in there somewhere. But yeah, it was pretty cool. I remember that team. Hey, uh, got a great guest coming up later on the show. I want to go ahead and tease this now because uh, – we want to make sure if you have someone that you know that's dealing with an injury or dealing with multiple injuries and trying to overcome those athletic injuries, man, this is going to be a great segment. Coming up later in the show, we're going to have on seven-time ACL surgery survivor Jenna Manichi, and she's going to be talking about how she now goes around and does uh, basically rehab with athletes and helping them overcome not only the physical side of an injury but the mental side. I can't even imagine, Ferris, having to go through seven knee surgeries. And how you overcome that and be still try and play athletics and still try and be active, still try and lead a productive, you know, athletic life. That's just incredible. I can't wait to have that interview on. But I think we're going to learn a lot of good tidbits about how to mentally be tough from that interview. Yeah, I mean, that that's what it all comes down to at that stage, right? I mean, the mental yeah. toughness and then also just the, the want, the desire, because Woo. coming back from that, all the time off, all of that, all the mental, is it really ready or not? But then you got to put in all the work. Yeah. Get it back ready to play at a high oh level. Gosh. And that's, I mean, to do that once, twice, we hear guys do it two or three times. 
Dude, seven times? Yes, yes. Like, good <laughs> grief. Yeah. I mean, the work it takes to get back physically to play at a high level is unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. So speaking of which, so I thought this would be a good segue into our next Olympic segment uh, discussion here. Olympic alpine skier Lorraine Ross, uh, she has had numerous, numerous injuries over her career, and I'm going to talk about some of them here. By the way, does, it seems as though everything except curling is deadly in the Winter Olympics. I'm, that's just maybe me because <laughs> the half pipe, the downhill alpine skiing, the skeleton, the luge, the bobsled. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah, it all seems didn't, like it's didn't, death uh, Didn't some curling team get popped for PG? We are going to talk like, about that. Like, yes. Well, what? Yeah. Why? What's we, the point? It's like a bowler getting popped for steroids. It's like, well, what, what are you doing? It increases your exercise capacity, what he took. And so I'm like, what the <laughs> heck are you doing? In fact, let me just jump to that. Since you brought it up, the Olympic curler from Russia. You know, you can't say that from that Russia. For life. What is it now? The other associated? Yeah, it's the, uh, yeah, I don't know it's, what it's it is. the it's athletes just... not from Russia, yeah, but right. from Russia. <laughs> yeah. Not representing Russia, but representing Russia. I don't know. So he's a curler. His name right. is Alex Krushel Nitsky. Yeah, he has to for, forfeit his Olympic medal in curling because he now admits tr- he found they found traces of melodonium, a heart drug. He initially tried to say that his drink was spiked, which is why it was in his system, but he has now dropped his appeal and he is going to go ahead and forfeit his <laughs> Olympic medal. Now, what in the world are you doing? Melodonium is an, it increases your exercise capacity. It's a drug used for ischemia, which is lack of blood flow. So it tries to increase blood flow, so it decreases your ability to get low oxygen. So you're increasing your oxygen capacity, so you increase your exercise capacity. What about curling are you needing to increase your exercise capacity for? I'm, so you sweep hard for 10 seconds. I don't know. Must have worked. You got a medal. Golly, man. You know, this is the same. <laughs> I heard that, and I was just like. I did I was too. Just like, dude, seriously, I what think you you're just a drug addict. What are you doing? Stage. I mean, there's, there's no point to it. I think you're just a drug addict. This is the same drug that Sharapova, the tennis player, was taking. Remember, uh, I think it was about a year ago here in Docs and Jocks. We yeah. talked yeah. all about melodonium and its effect on uh, ten- tennis. Now, that kind of makes sense, right? That's a long, oh, sure. yeah. high I mean, aerobic capacity. Playing yeah. day after day, back to back, over a season, of course. But yeah. curling, man, what are you doing? I mean, Man, I was just like, my friend sent me this uh, article for the radio show. He texted me. I'm like, seriously, what are you What are you thinking that you have to do performance-enhancing drugs? Initially, I thought he was doing steroids. I thought, that's dumb. I mean, how hard, how strong do you have to be to push the little rock? So, I don't know, man. The world Doesn't has gone Doesn't that tell you, though? I mean, that, that's why I thought it was. I, I know some of these Russians that got to, got to compete. SharePoint was Russian. They, you know, they passed the tests and stuff, but. I'm just like, doesn't it tell you that that's just so widespread Rampant. throughout that country's Rampant. deal that they're actually even pumping Curlers. up? I mean, curling guys. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I was shocked that they let that many compete and pass it, and now you're getting a curler getting popped I for mean, it. It just shows you it's rampant. I mean, a curler, you could be in the worst possible shape, right? Like, couldn't John Candy? I mean, back that's like, that's who I back in the just reminds me of the days. What was that? Smooth runnings or whatever. Like he could go out and done cool, Olympic, cool runnings. Cool runnings. Yeah, he he could have done you know, curling. Coach, yeah. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. I just don't understand why. You have to... <laughs> anyway, sorry, I got you sidetracked. Yeah, Dude, wow. What were we talking like, about? Olympic alpine skier. Yes, uh, Lorraine Ross. She is. Uh, she is an American alpine skier who was going 60 miles an hour when her crash occurred into a fence. Mm. This is two to three weeks prior to the Olympics. So she had no fractures, no broken bones. She tried. They said it was all soft tissue injuries, which mean like bruising, bleeding, you know, lacerations, things like that. And still serious injuries. She tried to uh, finish, tried to go ahead and stay in the Olympics and do her run. 
She finished in writhing pain. She was crying in writhing oh. pain when she finished and finished in last place. It was a gutty performance, but when do you say for the good of the team you're going to step down and let somebody else fill in? Now, I don't know. There may be rules against late you know, posting of injuries. Otherwise, all these teams would be saying, oh, you had a bad time. Pretend like you're injured. We're going to get in your replacement. So that may have been the case, but it is it is a gut, gutty performance, but she finished last. It obviously, is in extreme discomfort. Her injury was only been two weeks out from the time of her crash. And um, I don't know. There's there's a, there's a probably a fine line between gutty performance and needing to just pass the baton on to the next person. Yeah, I, you know, I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with her on this one. You you work your whole life for the opportunity, yeah. and so I'm like, you know what? You can be a little selfish. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. You, yeah. <laughs> you, work your, you work your tail off. You, oh. you can be a little selfish here and get, uh, fulfill your Olympic dream, especially if you're thinking it might be your last one. But, right. yeah, those those, uh, those those sports are insane. I mean, we saw the guy get hurt on the half pipe. I yep. thought he killed himself. Oh, we saw, we saw White back in the day. I thought he killed himself. Yes. Ski jumpers that like get hung oh, up in midair and go flying. I mean, even see these, even see these figure skaters, you know, getting lifted up high and yeah. falling and tripping and skates that are yeah. so sharp, you know. I took care Crazy. of the U.S. Uh, Olymp- Olympic figure skating uh, finals. They came through St. Louis University. I was uh, at St. Louis University's sports medicine program as, a, as an attending there, and we were in charge of that event. And I saw a, a figure skater come down and break her nose on the ice, or she. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, it happens. It just, uh, those bad injuries happen. So, anyway, so Lorraine Ross, I think it's, now that you said that, Ferris, I think this will back this up entirely. So, this is this lady's background. Before she has the injury three weeks ago, which she decided to compete in the Olympics, even in spite of her soft tissue injuries, and finishes in last place. But this is what she did to get to the Olympics. So, in 2017, she tears her ACL, or anterior crucial ligament, in her right knee, and she has a meniscus tear. And she has to go through all the rehab for that to make it back to qualify for this Olympics. And she does all that. She goes through all her reconstruction. She goes through rehab. She qualifies and makes it. And then before that, she had a serious, serious, serious fall in Canada where she crashed while doing alpine skiing in 2012. She suffered a facial hair to get this virus, 100 stitches to her face. And she also, while she was recovering from that injury, she fell again. She was skating or skiing with 100 uh, stitches in her face. She fell and broke her finger while she was going through that. Oh. In 2011, she tore her ACL uh, going through a gate in a giant slalom training in New Zealand. Remember, she tore ACL in 2017. She tore it before that in 2011. Uh, she required surgery as well as three hours a day of physical therapy while to recover from this. She recovered from her ACL surgery three months She's back on the mountain skiing again. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty bad. Two two ACL injuries. Hey, hang on. Here's another one. 2008, she tore her ACL in her left knee. So she has two in her right. In 2008, she's also had one on her Man. left knee. So it's she's also, uh, by the way, these are just ones they mentioned in passing. She also, during her career, has shattered her pelvis. She's dislocated her shoulders both sides. She had a labral tear in her hip. She has two bulging discs in her back with back pain all the time and two severe ankle sprains. So let me go back to the story and rephrase it now. Lorraine Ross has this fall two weeks ago, has soft tissue injuries, and she decides to stay in the Olympics and go ahead and ski, even though she was in tremendous amount of pain. I'm saying it was gutty performance. I'm not saying you're selfish anyway. If you went through all of what Lorraine Ross went through to get to the Olympics, 
I think it's okay for her to go ahead and finish that that uh, ski route. Yeah, she can she can do whatever she wants. That <laughs> yeah. yeah, you qualify, whatever you want to do, babe. You're, we're we're yeah. we're good to go. Whatever you yeah. want to do. A hundred stitches to her face, three ACL reconstructions, a shattered pelvis, shoulder dislocations, uh, multiple ankle sprains, and back injuries. Yeah, she's good. She, we'll let her we'll let her go. Ahead. Dude, that's a lot of want to Woo! right there, man. That's more want that to. That is a lot of want. <laughs> yes, to right it there. is. Yes, it is. So good for Lorraine Ross as the United States of America, even though she. Finished in last place, I think it was very, very gutty of her to do that. Olympic alpine skier Lorraine Ross. Dude, I would have, I would have, I would have, I would have, I would have loved to finish last place in something in the Olympics. Because yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that means you were good enough to be an Olympian, man. Yeah, yeah. You can always say they're never. No one's <laughs> ever going to take that away from you. I was a USA. I was a U.S. Olympian. Exactly. If you know all that she went through in the background, that is absolutely freaking amazing. So. Yeah. Hey, NBA All Star Game came out. Uh, played uh, this week while well, since our last show. So I want to go ahead and give. The game itself, props. I'm not going to talk about Fergie's uh, national anthem, which is the most hideous thing I've, since uh, since uh, who was the lady uh, Roseanne Barr. I mean, her and Fergie are up for you know number one. Yeah, number but two Fergie voice. was trying, right? Oh, Roseanne I think was so. making a mockery I think of so. it. And then the halftime show, I don't know. I must be too old. I just felt it was raunchy, and I just did not like the halftime show at all, at all. So, but the NBA All Star Game itself was incredible. And I thought Team LeBron uh, went on to defeat Team Curry. I think LeBron, remember, he was down because he had depleted team. His team had been depleted by injury. Remember, he was out without uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Boogie Cousins. What a great nickname. DeMarcus Cousins was out with an Achilles uh, tear. John Wall had gone out with a meniscus tear to his knee. And Kevin Love had gone out uh, with a fifth metacarpal fracture to his hand. So three of his starters went out with injuries, and they were saying that there's no way that he was going to be able to beat Team Curry. Remember, Russell Westbrook was a little bit bent out of shape because he thought he was the last pick for LeBron. When the actual actuality, he wasn't. It's just they went by alphabetical order. And so Westbrook uh, <laughs> was told that, and he was okay. But next year, they're talking about doing it uh, on air, live, doing the draft. So it'll be known who was the last pick. So that's going to be interesting because uh, guys like Russell Westbrook obviously take those things seriously for whatever reason. But, yeah, no, it seems like uh, Team LeBron, I thought the game was much more competitive. It was still a high-scoring game. I believe it was like 147 to 145, something like that. But it was uh, came down to the end. They were tied, and uh, LeBron, you know, made the game-winning bucket off a feed from uh, – it was Westbrook went to somebody who then went back to uh, LeBron. But it was a great game. I enjoyed the game. I think uh, – I don't think we're going to see the – nearly 200 point games like we did last year and uh, i found it uh, to be a good idea so kudos to the nba i think they should do it i think they should do it on air like right before the game like just like <laughs> yeah. and they should just go shirts and skins like like they, you know westbrook yeah, walks out lebron they do the rock paper scissors like oh you lost you lost lebron you guys shirts they take their shirts off and then you know curry goes i'll take that dude i'll take that dude i'll take that yeah. dude and they just go out and play like no officials. Let them call their own. They'd probably call it actually pretty tight. They wouldn't complain. So they'd be calling their own. Calling their own. Be like no blood, no foul, and just make it a pickup game. That's what I think they should. Yeah, do bring time. in asphalt and make it like a true asphalt, like yeah. parking lot, you know, basketball game. That'd be yeah, awesome. metal rims with like chains hanging off of them. Let's oh, go, that'd be baby. incredible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. But anyway, I thought it was pretty good. I'd like to get your take, man. Remember, you can follow us on docsandjocks.com. Let us know what your take was on the NBA All Star Game. Uh, taking out the national anthem and taking out the halftime show. If you, Maybe that's your cup of tea. It just wasn't mine, but that was pretty <laughs> rough. Hey, uh, another couple stories in the news right now, Ferris. Uh, Julian Edelman, uh, the Patriots wide receiver, came out 
with a, a quote. Someone asked him about whether or not uh, how his rehab was going with regards to his ACL reconstruction he had. I thought he had a really telling quote. This is what he said. Edelman suffered the injury on August 25th, and he had a surgery a little more than four weeks later. At the Super Bowl earlier this month, he was a guest of uh, the uh, sports medicine radio sh- or sports radio show, and they asked him basically how he was progressing with his ACL reconstruction. He said, "I'm pretty healthy. You never want to be put a number on anything. You put a number on something, and you're feeling great that day. But you go out, and the next day something swells up. This, that, and then whose fault is it? Is it the trainer's fault? Is it the player's fault? Is it the doctor's fault? You just say we're trying to get better each day. I thought that was pretty good, Ferris. What do you think about his quote?" Yeah, no, that is good because he's right. Because especially the way that the media is now, you know, oh, Julian Edelman said he was eighty percent, and now he's saying he's sixty percent. What happened? You know, everybody wants to find fault with everybody about yeah. everything. So, yeah, that's probably pretty smart. I wonder if that's a Belichick coaching. It sounded thing like it. Like, was... Don't be putting numbers yes, on stuff. Yeah. Don't be doing that. Or if he came up with that himself, because that you're right. That that's the best way to do it, man. Yeah, don't put numbers on stuff, and don't be taking melodonium if you're a curly curling olympic star just, just stop it just stop, stop it stop it Come absolutely it's ridiculous and we'll be right back with more docs and jocks for sports medicine radio show stay tuned we'll be talking more about sports medicine in the news when we come back with the rest of this segment homer's bar music venue is a new venue in abilene texas bringing you great drink specials gaming area and the greatest music from nationals and locals check them out at 4201 north first street here in abilene texas homer's bar music venue their grand opening is march 3rd be there you're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine, doing what I do during my day job here on air for the Docs and Jocks listeners. Man, it's great to have you be part of our show. Remember, you can be part of our show multiple different ways. We'd love to have you be part of our show on social media. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are under Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Love to be part of our show that way. Contact us or contact us through email at docsandjocks.com. Find out how to contact us there, and we'd love to have your question on air as well. Joined right now, uh, Ferris Potter is the voice of Grand Canyon University. He has to go do his job, but we are joined in his. Uh, we we don't, we'll call you Plan B since uh, you're B Hawk. We'll call you. That's what I like. Brandon's been on our show numerous times. Brandon's my producer of Docs and Jocks. Brandon Hawk's a former athletic trainer with the Dallas Cowboys as well as the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And uh, great to have you on the show today for the second half. Yeah, Doctor Dan, excited to be here. Yeah, so great interview we had with Chuck Lamar earlier. You've been talking to Chuck uh, on air, you know, because um, you're the guy that ranges all these calls. Our good friend Mike Compton, who was a catching coordinator with the Cincinnati Reds and Philadelphia Phillies for, gosh, almost 40 to 50 years, just recently retired, has all these great, great guys he gets on our show for us. And Chuck Lamar is one of them. And, man, what a wealth of knowledge that guy was. Yeah, I mean, I was amazed because, you know, those kind of my growing up areas, the Braves, when they were at their yeah, peak. Yeah, And, uh, you know, Chipper Jones is like one of my favorite baseball players ever. So right. that was really cool to hear him talk about just his demeanor on the field and just everything that he embodied as a baseball player. And he came to Grand Canyon University and scouted us when I was there. Not for me, yeah, but for my teammate Tim Salmon, obviously. So. But obviously, you weren't the only one he missed. Yes, he named about five or six other yeah. big league players. Yeah, I don't know how field. I got missed on that. No, that's why I wasn't being seen. I was overshadowed. Absolutely, that's what my problem was. Lack of talent, just being overshadowed. Yes, by, yes, just great talent all around me, everywhere. But yeah, you know who we need to talk to is uh, Corey Aldridge. Is where our show is broadcast out of the uh, West Texas area. Uh, we come out of Abilene, Texas, called the Big Country, and probably the best 
hitter to ever come out of our area is a guy named Corey Aldridge who played uh, with the Braves in that era when Chuck Lamar was there. And so I bet Corey probably uh, would have been known to Chuck. And so we need to ask Corey if he knows Chuck Lamar. He's been on the show numerous times. Yeah, that would actually be really cool to find out. The uh, thing you need to know about Corey Aldridge, if you want to know, if you want to watch the greatest single baseball game of any guy's career, on, it's his last baseball game professionally. In 2013, Corey Aldridge played for, uh, I think it was the Atlantic League, right? 2013 cha- Championship Atlantic League. It was an independent league, probably made up of double-A, triple-A type players who were trying to either make it, they are playing a little bit more at the end of their career, or guys trying to make it up to the minor leagues affiliated club. And Corey uh, comes down and joins them at the end of the season. And his last game, he hits three home runs, and the last one is a walk-off home run. You talk about blast, too. One was over a light pole in right field. It was just it was just so amazing. And they're like the first pitch each time. They throw him one pitch, home run. One pitch, home run. One pitch, walk-off. It was just crazy. Yeah, he's a big dude. So, <laughs> he's uh, a big dude. He looks like a guy when he hits it, it, it's going. Oh, he can play some baseball. But, yeah, we'll have to ask Corey about Chuck Lamar. But I want to say good, good – uh, Great things about Mike Compton, who was able to get him on our show. Hey, a couple of big sports medicine stories in the news is uh, Houston Astros. It seems like this was our performance-enhancing performance drug day. We're talking about a curler who took <laughs> melodonium earlier, if you missed that. And now the Houston Astros' number one pick. In fact, he was a number one draft pick in 2016. Uh, his name is Forrest Whitley. He's a pitching prospect who's six foot seven. He has now been suspended 50 games for violating a banned substance policy. And uh, I just can't – they didn't divulge what the drug was. It was too early. It just came out. But obviously, when your number one pick, who's six foot seven, is now out 50 games, I guess even though your number one pick, and I guarantee he got a huge, huge signing bonus. These yeah. guys now are making signing, signing bonuses, you know, six figures and up, is the fact that I guess you feel like you have to live up to it, I guess. I don't know what the deal is, why these guys are all – having to feel like they have to do it, but it seems like you're the number one overall pick. You pretty much, even if you don't make the big leagues, you're, you're set pretty financially at a young age. So I guess it's just that you feel like you have to live up to that number one pick status. That I, that's the same reasoning, I guess, like Bobby Bond or Barry Bonds, you know, probably did it. One of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. In fact, Chuck Lamar, who saw him as a young pirate, said he was going to be one of the greats of all time, was just gifted from the beginning. And then halfway through his career, he felt like he probably needed to start taking because he wanted to hit more home runs. A lot of pressure. Yeah, Dr. Dan, I was going to ask you, you know, this is interesting because this week I watched the documentary on Lance Armstrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they kind of ask him, you know, would you do it again? And, you know, he's like. Talk about PDs. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and he doesn't ever really answer no because of all the all the things that he said he did for cancer research and the things he was able to provide for his family and all these things. And so, like you said, you know, here. But is it worth it now? Now that you look back at his career, so tainted. Nobody says Lance Armstrong without immediately thinking of. Yeah. He lost everything because he used whatever performance-changing drug he was on, erythropoietin or yeah. whichever ones he and used. Then, and then you come out to find out that everyone that he was associated with, everyone in the sport was getting busted. I was going looking at the stats of other bike riders in the Tour de France, and all of them have at one point been busted with something. So you're just like wow, if everyone's doing it, I'm just going to jump on the train and do it too, and hopefully I don't get caught. You don't know if, you know, Forrest Whitley, like you said, having pressure to be the next big wig for the Astros coming off this, the uh, World Series win or not. But, yeah, it's you just really wonder, you know, they have all these things going for them, and then boom, 50 games. Yeah. 
Yeah, baseball's kind. You know, in the Olympics, you just lose your medal. I mean, the yeah. curler's just done, right? I mean, yeah. that's still so strange. I'm seeing a curler <laughs> took performance enhancing drugs. But anyway, he's just done. They just take your medal with you. They strip it away. So at least they have a policy. It's a really a three-strike policy, and you're out type thing in baseball. So he misses 50 games this time. I think the next one's 100, and then you're done, right? Yeah, I believe so, third strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Force baseball be the three strikes you're out. Maybe, maybe uh, the uh, curler. Maybe you know if he was the sweeper. Maybe seriously, you know, come like, on, man. <laughs> but the, if he's the seriously. guy releasing the rock, I mean, yeah. I don't know. If you can't sweep <laughs> briskly for ten <laughs> seconds, you probably don't need to be in the Olympics, right? Uh, I mean, seriously, yeah. if your cardiovascular <laughs> status in the Olympics, you can't sweep briskly for ten seconds while skating along on the ice. You've got some issues. <laughs> So, yeah, this, this is so crazy. I just cannot get over the fact that a curler. Now, initially when it, the report came out, I think uh, you had thought it was possibly a uh, blood pressure or a, I'm sorry, a heart rate lowering drug. I guess if you're the guy pushing and you want to control your breathing. Yes. I could kind of make a story or a sense of that. But the one that he took, melodonium, improves your exercise capacity, which that makes no sense at all. He's not out there running. He's not yeah. out there doing anything crazy. You know, if you're going to be taking melodonium, be like at least Sharapova was a tennis player, or you could see that in like those cross country skiers. You've been watching any of that? Oh my, that is ridiculous. The guys are doing the five miles and stuff on the just running on the ice or running on the snow. It's so so brutal. They always have their faces just like froze over with their yeah. slobbering that then becomes you know ice on their face. It just seems so so they, hard. They look so silly, but that looks like one of the toughest sports they I've said ever it seen. Is. They said your VO2 max, the uh, cross-country skiers, have the highest VO2 maxes, which that's your <clears throat> basically a judge of how well you utilize oxygen or your oxygen-carrying capacity. So that's just the physiological term that allows you to kind of grade what your aerobic capacity is. So anyway, that's uh, – yeah, cross-country skiing is an amazing sport. But, yeah, curling, I'm not sure why you're taking melodonium, but I'm not sure why <laughs> Forrest Whitley, the Houston Astros' number one pick overall – Feels as though he has to take some type of performance-enhancing drug. I would assume, because baseball is so rampant with anabolics, and if you're six foot seven, I bet he's a thin-framed guy yeah. that's trying to bulk up. That's what I would. I was told what I would guess. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm sitting here looking at a picture of him, and you're right. He is very tall, very thin. Yeah, you're probably like, hey, go out and gain weight. Anabolic steroids will put muscle mass on you. No, no question about it. That's why it's the number one band. Yeah, you no know, substance originally, but yeah. How, how steroids work, by the way, just very real quick. I know I've talked about this on air before, but you break down muscle, and how you build muscle is when you break it down, you you rebuild those fibers. When you do so, they hypertrophy. So the fibers that you have become larger, and that collection, there's multiple muscle, multiple muscle, multiple muscle fibers that collect together and become the whole the whole muscle. So the the more uh, diameter you have per muscle fiber, the bigger the overall muscle hypertrophy, the stronger the tension you can pull, the tensile loads you can pull. So steroid speeds up that healing process, the protein synthesis, so it allows you to recover quicker because when you're tearing muscle down, if you go back and exercise again, you just tear more muscle down. You never allow the healing phase, the recovery phase to happen, so you never get the benefits of working. That's why you don't want to do bench press really, really hard two days in a row because you want to let the pecs heal down. And then you go back out and do it again. You break it down, rebuild it, break it down, rebuild it. Steroids decreases that healing time, so you can basically speed up the whole strengthening phase by instead of taking 48 to 72 hours to fully heal and recover, you can speed it up to be maybe less than 24 hours, so you're immediately working back out that same group and you can get bigger faster. 
So yeah, Dr. Dan, and also there are a lot of risks that go into this too. You talked about what the physiological part that it helps, but you see so many people having like cardiac issues and a bunch parts of, of muscle, right? Yeah. yeah. So you can have get start developing hypertrophic cardiomyopathies. We call them. That's the big fancy word for heart muscle that gets uh, too big. When your heart muscle gets big, it tends to make the chambers that hold the blood inside smaller. Or if the pressure inside isn't strong enough, then you collapse that chamber and then you go into serious uh, sudden death type risk yeah. issues. So, yeah, a heart that has enlarged due to uh, cardiomyopathy or enlarged muscle mass, it is a dangerous heart because it has to, one, be fed more blood to, to, to be able to continue doing its thing. <clears throat> and also the chambers decrease in size and you can get hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which can be very dangerous. Yeah. So, anyway, don't want to put your uh, young ones on anything anabolic. Just get lots and lots of good sleep, work out very well, eat very well. So, anyway, that's uh, just just the take on the performance-enhancing drug uh, side effects of doing these. Uh, it's happening to all our Olympic athletes, not all of them, but almost all of them from Russia. I mean, out of 116, how many got to compete? 40 or something? I think Ridiculous. it was like 70 maybe, 70 65 or 70 yeah. out of the 300 and something. Yeah, so – Getting nailed. But not all athletes are knuckleheads. We got on Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman and guard Lauren Tardiff. He is now the first NFL player and current only NFL player who just received his medical doctorate. He is an MD. He's six foot five, three hundred and twenty pound guard. Man, he that'd be interesting for him to walk in the room, man. It'd be intimidating <laughs> in one of those little doctor your exam rooms you walk in, you know. Yeah. So six foot five, three hundred twenty pound NFL guard had worked during all his off season nights, all the way even through the season. He was working at nights to get his MD. He uh, ended up uh, graduating from McGill Medical School in Montreal, and he is now wanting to put MD on his name after his name on his jersey. What do you think about that, Hawk? I mean, I, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, uh, like you said, there's over 1,600 NFL players, and not one of them are a doctor. So, I mean, I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's been there's been uh, NFL players or firemen that are police, have been police officers, that have been school teachers. We don't put fireman, police officer, teacher after their name on their jersey. Yeah, but I, I don't know. <laughs> like, think about, you know, obviously you went through med school and everything and fellowship and all the things that you did. I mean, could you imagine playing an NFL season while you did that? Yeah, I don't really understand it. Him and Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown, uh, we've had on Docs and Jocks before, played for the New York Yankees back in the late 40s, early 50s, played with the likes of Joe DiMaggio. He's Yogi Berra's roommate, played with Mickey Mantle at the beginning of his career. He went through medical school in the off season and would show up for spring training and, and play with the Yankees. But during the off season. He was going to medical school, became the first cardiologist in Fort Worth, Texas. Wow. And uh, he actually, once he became a doctor, when he got fully uh, finished with medical school, he gave up the Yankees to go work as a cardiologist in Fort Worth. Bobby Brown, if you look at his stats, was had one of the, still holds a lot of records in the World Series for the greatest World Series games. I think he played in five World Series in his career, something like that. And uh, he gave it up. He. He told a funny story. He said that he and Mickey Mantle were playing catch right before a spring training game in Pittsburgh, and uh, or in spring training, it was against Pittsburgh, and uh, a cameraman who was taking pictures of Mickey Mantle fell over with a heart attack, and Bobby Brown tried to revive him in the training room, and uh, they ended up, the uh, cameraman unfortunately passed away, and uh, him and Mickey were standing back looking, they were taking care of the body, and they were standing back there, and Mickey looked at Bobby Brown and said, well, Bobby, was that your... 
was that your first patient? Because he had just finished medical school and this is his first game afterwards. And he said, uh, well, Mickey, I, I guess it is. And Mickey looked at him and said, oh, hell, it's got to get better than this. Over <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, over one, man. His very first patient was a guy on the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers or the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, photography staff. But, yeah, no, that's, that's an amazing accomplishment. I'm not taking anything away from Lauren Tardiff. I'm oh, just yeah. not sure – you need to place your profession on the back of your jersey yeah. unless you're going to do it for everybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so anyway, but pretty cool, man. We're going to give him kudos. Yes. That helps make up for all the other knuckleheads out there doing performance-hancing drugs and getting suspended for 50 games and getting their Olympic medals taken away. Hey, I want to tell you that our Mental Strength Minute is coming up with the lovely Miss Tracy Munson. She's going to be talking about not only mental strength, but also bringing in uh, the wonderful Reverend Billy Graham, who we're going to all miss, man. One of my greatest yes. uh, childhood memories is listening to Reverend Billy Graham with my parents in the living room. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Many times the skills and lessons we learn in sports can be applied to our lives. Things we learn along the way as athletes, such as leadership, toughness, and resiliency, not only help in sports, but in life. But this can also be applied in reverse, and the things we learn in life situations can help us to be better athletes. I was reminded of this this week with the passing of the great Billy Graham. Reverend Graham once stated, Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. I thought of how this quote can be applied to athletes who want to be great leaders and examples for their teammates and great role models for their fans. Sometimes an athlete must choose to do the right thing or the difficult thing, but as with great leaders, he many times will bring teammates up with him and encourage others to also do and be their very best. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we not only strive to help athletes be the best in their sport, but to also be the best they can be in life. If you or an athlete you know would like to learn more about this, you can reach us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. Barefoot Studios is the new premier recording studio and record label based right here in West Texas. Come take off your shoes and record the next big hit. Make sure you check out Barefest March 8th through March 10th. More details at Facebook Barefoot Studios Texas. You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, your sports medicine physician. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about our sports medicine radio show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Remember, you can also listen to our show anytime, anywhere. If you're not one in one of our listening areas on one of our radio stations, you can listen to us on your iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Joined today by my co-host today, filling in for Ferris as he's off doing his sports broadcasting with Grand Canyon. We have on Brandon Hawk. Brandon's the uh, longtime athletic trainer with the Texas Tech Red Raiders, as well as the Dallas Cowboys. Hawk, we're very honored to have on and excited to have on Jenna Manici. And if I said your name wrong, Jenna, I am so sorry, man. I hope I got that right. But she is an ACL expert who's had, listen to this, our listening audience, listen, five ACL reconstructions. We have talked about, we had a, a skier we talked about in our last segment who had had three. She's got nothing on Jenna. She's had five ACL reconstructions, seven separate knee surgeries. She now is spending her time after going through an amazing amount of study, an amazing amount of training. She's now considered a world's leading expert on ACL uh, reconstructions, ACL expert, Jenna Manici. Thank you, Jenna, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So first of all, for our listening audience, tell us, take us back in time when you had your first anterior cruciate ligament injury in the knee and what you were doing and, and how you dealt with that injury the first time. Just give us a little history. Uh, this was when I was 13 years old back in 2003. 
and I was playing soccer. Uh, I actually was filling in as a goalie because our goalie got hurt, and I was the only girl on our team who could catch the ball. Uh, and my coach literally told me, go in there, and if somebody comes in the goal box, I want you to charge them and take the ball. And someone came in the box. I charged them, tackled them, took the ball, and uh, tore my ACL on my right knee as well as my labrum in my hip with that injury. Wow. Uh, and that was a contact injury, so <clears throat> that was um, a whopper. <laughs> yeah, tell, our listening audience may be made to understand, but most or a lot of ACL injuries, anterior cruciate ligament injuries, are can be non-contact, where you just step in a certain way, your knee buckles into what's called genuvalgus. You might have heard of, of knock knee, where your knee goes in that position, and then you tear your ACL. So it doesn't always have to be traumatic. In other words, somebody hits it, you run into somebody, and it tears it. A lot of them are non-contact injuries. So... You go through that, and, and most people in our listening audience know that that takes anywhere, gosh, six months to a year, sometimes longer, especially when you're 13, you want to give yourself some more time. When was it after your first injury? How long did it take you to rehab, and when did you get back out on the field again? I returned to soccer in about nine months. Uh, I did majority of my rehab on my own because I only got maybe 24 visits with a physical therapist, which is just awful. I mean, you're not ready to return to even normal weightlifting after 24 visits. So um, that was hard. But I returned to soccer in nine months, and about two to three months after that, I was playing at the end of practice, goofing around, just taking corner shots with my friends and tore my ACL, MCL, and meniscus on the left knee, so the other knee. Oh, wow. And this was a non-contact injury just from planting my foot to kick the ball with my right knee. Um, so there were definitely some issues going on as far as my strength and asymmetries that made me so much more likely to have that second injury. So Yeah, for listening, you ought to explain. Uh, with you all, I know you know more about ACLs probably than anybody in the country having gone through it five separate times. But explain those risk factors that some people have that make them prone to tear an ACL or rupture an ACL, especially a young girl. Uh, well, there's a lot. Yeah, young girls age 13 to 17 are the most at-risk population. Um, primary reason just being puberty and the changes in the body. So the widening of the hips can cause an increase of a Q angle for these females. So essentially just, you know, from midline of your patella up to your ASIS and your hip the larger that angle is, the more stress there is or lateral force there is on your knee. So think of myself taking that corner kick with a wide cue angle. It's already putting more stress in that position. Right. Um, they're actually studying new um, effects of estrogen on the ACL, and they say that estrogen can actually bind to the ACL and make it a little weaker. So that's why ages 13 to 17, you have more estrogen during puberty. So you're a little more at risk in that time. Um, you mentioned earlier, too, the, the knock knees or the knee valgus is very common in female athletes as well as quad dominance. So female athletes are much more likely to be quad dominant, which just means that their quad fires first versus the quads and hamstrings firing simultaneously. And in a male athlete, when the quads and hamstrings fire simultaneously, like as you're decelerating, that actually protects the ACL. But when the quads fire first and the hamstrings have a delayed effect, then a lot of times that can result in an ACL tear. Right, right. Hawk, you have a question for Jenna? Yeah. Hey, Jenna. So, you know, you dealt with the first one when you were 13, and then uh, you said just uh, how, how much 
longer after the first one? Did you chair the second one? Um, let's see. It was about nine months of rehab and then two or three months. So I was almost 14 years old. I would have been about 14 when I tore the second one. So take us through that moment. You know, you get to the second one. You you know you've already gone through the first one. You've, you've gone through the nine months of rehab. What is your thought process like? Here here I am again. What, what did you, what are the thoughts you had? Well, when you do it again, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, so I remember laying there, and my first reaction was laughter. I think I was in such disbelief that I was like, all right, this can't be real, you know. And then after a few seconds go by, I'm kind of thinking, okay, this is real. This just happened. And I'm I'm just so dumbfounded that I, I was kind of laughing and chuckling. And my coach yells at me to get up, and I said, coach, I can't stand. And he doesn't believe me or get it. And um I just all I was thinking of was was how long it would take to get back again and all that hard work. And um, I kind of call it the dark days of rehab where you're sort of just stuck doing all this little stuff and you can't really go join your life like all your friends and family. And um, that was hard. That was definitely uh, a scary moment. I was shaking more so from what I knew was in front of me than the initial pain. uh, it was a little terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, what what was the hardest part of it? Was it the physical aspect of recovery? I know because there's a, you know, obviously you have swelling in your knee, you have surgery. There's a lot of, you know, range of motion things you have to work on, strengthening. So there's a large component of physical, but there's also a large mental side of it, too, where you have to be able to trust your knee again when you're going back out and playing sports. And I can't imagine, you, we went through it five times. Were, were you able to, after the fifth time, able to mentally overcome saying, okay, I can use this knee. I can play it without the fear of, of my knee giving way. What, what was harder, more the physical or the mental side of things? Uh, definitely the mental. Um, and as far as that goes, I'm I'm one of those athletes that's extremely dedicated, disciplined. I will do all the extra work to, to get the extra edge. I wasn't really the most natural ability as far as athleticism goes, so I always had to work harder. So for me, rehab was like a fun challenge of, of positivity, um, and that that was doable, but it wasn't easy, of course. But the mental is definitely the hardest part because you, you go through so many cycles of not only negativity but feeling sorry for yourself and then moping around and then, um, you know, whether you gain weight or you lose friendships because your whole soccer team or basketball team is off you know, doing everything they can do and you're stuck at home and there's the whole loneliness factor. Uh, it's the mental side is rough. Uh, and then on top of that, the fact that really no one in your life can understand what you're going through um, was even the hardest part is people would say, oh, it's fine. You'll be back soon. You'll you'll be fine. And it, you're kind of like, you don't get what I have to do to get back. Like yes. you, you know, it's, it's a lot. So um, mentally, it's definitely a scary thing. Um, I just had my fifth ACL reconstruction 40 days ago. Oh, wow. So I'm not even at the point where I can run or plant and do anything yet. But um, this fifth surgery has honestly been a breeze because I've been able to, you know, perfect <laughs> oh, everything. Goodness, <laughs> like, literally, wow. I know anything that could go wrong. I know every feel-good treatment to make it feel better. I know everything to do strength-wise. So it, it's been a breeze mentally and physically, and it's been able to kind of help me grow and flourish and kind of let go of this whole journey in a way. So, 
Hey, we're talking to Jen um, She said she, she just wrote a book called Surviving Seven, Expert's Guide to ACL Surgery. So I, I thought it was interesting you not only wrote the Surviving Seven, the Expert's Guide to ACL Surgery, but you've also designed core stability workout programs for the University of Tennessee, their rowing teams. So you not only talk about ACL surgeries and the guide to rehab, but you also talk about core strengthening. Do you tie those in two and together, the core strengthening and, and trying to prevent ACL injuries? Oh, yes. Um, my athletic trainer taught me at age 13, your hips are your core, was what he would always tell me. And as far as ACL injury risk goes, a lot of it has to do with the joints above and below the knee, not so much the knee. So your ankle, your foot plant placement and planting, and your hips. If you have weak glutes, um, even weak hamstrings, which females are more likely to have weaker glutes and hamstrings, you can be more prone. Um, the abduction muscles is huge. So uh, everything I do is core-based. And a week out of surgery, I'm already working working on very modified core moves. So um, I think that's the biggest thing to making a quick comeback is getting that core back as fast as you can. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. In fact, I was just going to ask you, I, I know uh, several of my patients that I've, I've just recently diagnosed with anterior crucial ligament uh, ruptures, they just happen to all be uh, young females. And if you were going to give them a piece of advice now looking back, if there's ever been anybody who can give ACL rehab advice, it'd be you. Those young girls that uh, they're just going through this for the first time and they're scared, they're nervous, obviously, uh, what was some advice you would give them after what you've gone through? Uh, well, the biggest thing I would say is make sure you work hard and, and do all of your rehab because the risk of re-injury is so great that, that cheating your way through is just not worth it. Um, but more so on the mental side, I would say be vulnerable enough to open yourself up to this process and learn and grow from it on top of the fact of just be confident enough to be compassionate with yourself that you are human and this is going to be a struggle and you are going to have down days. So don't beat yourself up when you have those days and, you know, be compassionate with the process as well as being vulnerable to allowing it to change you. That's awesome. Hey, Jenny, you know, when I was going through school and at Texas Tech and, you know, they were kind of teaching us, you know, ACL rehabilitation and things. One of the things I remember them always pointing out is finding a way to take our athletes back into rehab around the rest of the team. I remember you mentioning just the dark days of the rehab. Loneliness, yeah. Yeah, and the loneliness. Mm -hmm. it, as you've, like, you know, gotten to number five, does, does that does that seem like that's as important of not only what you're doing but where you're doing it and who you're around? Definitely. Um, you know, I'm in my late 20s now, so I'm not on a sports team. And I actually quit my playing career after my second ACL injury. So I never had any re-injuries. Um, uh, but right now, I am I do my rehab on my own. I do not have a physical therapist. Um, I, so so it is yeah. very lonely. Yeah. Uh, but what I've done is I've taken to social media, and that's where I find a lot of my strengths and give my strengths to others. And when I first had my initial injuries back in the early 2000s, there was no social media to turn to and have people to relate to. And now my friends don't understand what I'm going through, but my knee friends online do. And I have friends yeah. in Chicago and New York and 
and Germany and France and Japan and Australia and well, you're, you're you know, to have some I've from mentored Abilene, Texas. them as much as they've mentored me and it's it's really amazing. <laughs> well, you're fixing to have some from Abilene, Texas. I'm going to tell all my uh, ACL patients to start getting yeah. a hold of you on social media. In fact, if uh, someone wants to contact you and find out about your Surviving 7, the Expert's Guide to ACL Surgery, or want to contact you on social media because uh, maybe you can help them and they can help you with uh, the ACL rehab you're going through, uh, how would they do so? Uh, well, my book is available on Amazon.com, so you can just type in Jenna Minecci on Amazon.com or type in Surviving 7, and it should come up that way. And then my social media handles are all at GenActive, so J-E-N-N-A-C-T-I-V-E, and my website is GenActive.com. Well, I guarantee there's going to be some uh, young girls from Abilene, Texas that are going to be contacting you. And, uh, man, that's what an amazing, amazing story. So I didn't realize you were still currently going through another ACL rehab right now. I didn't realize you were just – you're just 48, 40 days out from that right now? Yes, I did my first single-leg leg press about an hour ago. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. <laughs> so, wow. And you're on And the- I ditched my post-op brace today, so small wins. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's all those little things that make a huge difference, but – yeah, I, th- I think if you could focus on that next small step, I think ACL rehabilitation, it seems like for my patients, it's it's such a long endeavor that they kind of lose the force for the trees. And so you have to kind of look at those baby steps along the way, like what you just said, that the small mm-hmm. accomplishments are so huge in the big picture. Don't get lost in that big picture. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, it's so easy to get lost in the big picture, especially as a youth athlete, because you're just so focused on, I want to play my sport again. I want to play my sport again. So if you kind of focus more on, I need to get my swelling down, or I'm going to regain quad control or whatever, it's less overwhelming and and less less set up for failure, you know? Yeah, well, what an inspirational story. And if you want to follow Jenna Jenna Minucci on Facebook, social media go to jen active j-e-n-n-a-t-i-v-e man we'd love to have you back on the show again let us know how your rehab goes i appreciate you coming on docs and jocks thank you so much oh. i sure will all right hey we'll be right back with more docs and jocks after this short commercial break homer's bar music venue is a new venue in abilene texas bringing you great drink specials gaming area and the greatest music from nationals and locals check them out at 4201 north first street here in abilene texas homer's bar music venue their grand opening is march 3rd be there you're listening to docs and jocks brought to you in part by buffalo wild wings first financial bank and mdi abilene touchdown now Back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you joining us this, this week and every week. Remember, you can always join us even if we're not in your listening area on your radio, uh, favorite radio station. You can also listen to us if you're traveling like I am sometimes with my son's baseball, my daughter's uh, volleyball. You can listen to us by going to your iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, and subscribing to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and be part of our show that way as well. Hey, uh, joined back with Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Hey, Ferris, give us an update on, uh, man, a big article came out on Grand Canyon University. I'm uh, talking about the whole program and how it's going crazy, and it was a national news media. Great, great week for uh, Grand Canyon. Tell us how they're doing. Yeah, GCU uh, got a big win uh, Thursday night. Men's basketball had been had lost three in a row, but two games left. And in the conference tournament, women are playing well. They'll they'll have a shot at the conference tournament on the seventh through the tenth at the Orleans. 
And then uh, softball opened the brand-new stadium. They had the field last year, but the stadium was built around it, so that's completed. They opened against number one Oklahoma a couple of games. Uh-huh. Uh, Oklahoma's very good, by the way. Yes. And uh, <laughs> the, the baseball squad opened the brand-new Brazzle Field at GCU Ballpark. Gorgeous facility. Everybody's raving about it against number one TCU. Had them on the ropes Friday night, but TCU is very good. Came back and won it in the ninth inning, and then the Lopes able to walk it off in the bottom of the 12th on Sunday. So very exciting. Uh, It was a great opportunity to see the differences in the programs and what it really takes to be – I mean, I think TCU is the best program in the country over the last 10 years. Uh, They had not won one, so, you know, the Floridas and the Vanderbilts would have issues with that. Four College World Series appearances in a row, right? Four in a row, and I think five of six or something like that. They're actually ranked behind – Brandon Hawks, Texas Tech, yeah. uh, this this season. But um, the thing that stood out, I mean, they, they have great hitters. Luke and Baker, the big guys, yeah. he's, he's like eight feet tall and like 390 pounds yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Dude, he hit a ball, I swear to you. It, it was it was over the scoreboard in left center, about 385. About You know, they've got the netting about 30 feet up. It was halfway up the net, and it was rising when it hit the net. Wow. It, was, it was the hardest hit ball. My call on the broadcast was, Luke and Baker hits one that's going to land on 43rd Avenue. And right behind the field is 35th Avenue. Yeah. A mile. He crushed it. Wow. So they have great hitters. But the thing about them, what makes them so good is every guy they brought out of the bullpen was was rushing up there, you know, mid-90s. They, they have a really good pitching staff. And that's a great program. But it's great for GCU to see what it takes to play with them. And GCU uh, really held their own. I mean, on Saturday, gave up a bunch of walks and hit some batters, so it got away from them, but still scored six runs against one of the best pitchers in the country. Um, their 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 Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys are all probably top you know top five six round round guys. How did you listen to the game on Sunday? Did you call the game on Sunday or was that TV? Did you call the game on Sunday? Uh, on TV, yeah. But I was back uh, working with uh, Matthew Boggs, who played uh, four years at Georgia Tech. So give us your, um, give us your call because TCU uh, Grand Canyon had a walk off against TCU. Give us your uh, walk off call. Yeah. Well, I, I, all I said, and I won't, I won't do the whole thing, I think they tweeted it out. They tweeted out a recap of that 12th inning. So if you go to GCU Baseball um, on Twitter, you can find that 12th inning on video with all the calls. But it was funny. It was interesting because, you know, you got to get a lot of breaks, right? I mean, right. you play in a team like that. you got to take advantage. Got our leadoff guy. We're down two. Got our leadoff guy on with an air. 12th inning. Grumble right? up the middle. Yeah, short. The second baseman makes a great play behind the bag, but it pops out of his glove. But that one is an infield hit because he had to dive for it. Yeah. But – Maybe would have got the guy at second. Um, got a little help. And then our, our top guys come up, Ian, Ian Evans and Quinn Cotton, third and fourth hitters. Both hit singles to the left side with the bases loaded to tie the game. And then with two outs, a little dribbler right down the first base line. Pitcher comes over, and this pitcher boils. He did a great job pitching out of a jam. Has it. Going to be the third out. Picks it up. Throws it past the first baseman. His oh, throw kind of failed wow. into, yeah. into, into the runner, you know. And it was uh-huh. a backup first baseman because Baker – was out because he had hurt his face. Um, and uh, so the first ever win at Brazzle Field at GCU Ballpark was a walk-off in the 12th inning on a ball that didn't go past 30 feet on the infield. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, they, that's what I said. On they the were down, too, because TCU scored two in the top half of the 12th. They had to score three in the bottom half of the 12th, right? Kind of did to TCU what TCU did opening yeah. night to Grand Canyon, which was come back and beat him in the last inning. So pretty cool. Yeah, man. TCU is going to be really good. I tell you the other thing, too, uh, D1 baseball is a great site. Yes. I think of the top 25 right out of the gate, I think there were six or seven teams from the state of Texas in the I top know. 25. Yeah. And so 
it when I was growing up, it was it was Southern California, Southern California, Southern California, and even Arizona. Yeah. And then Florida popped up there, you know, and like North Carolina. I mean, Texas is the hotbed of college baseball right now. It's crazy. It really yeah, is. It's all around us here, the big country in Abilene. You know, we're not that far from Texas Tech. TCU's a couple hours away. Texas a and just a little bit south of us. So, yeah, those schools are all yeah, around Texas us. Texas is getting better. Mm-hmm. DBU is doing great. I mean, top 20 team, um, you know, yes. Dallas Baptist. Texas, I mean, Texas State yeah, and Oklahoma State 10-1 to 1 in one of the games. So, a little, you know. Not bad there either. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Rice had a really Don't good. Don't forget about Rice. Don't forget about yes. Houston. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, Houston's always good. Yeah. And Texas, the Longhorns. I mean, uh-huh. they're coming geez. back. Yeah, there's Absolutely. a lot of good baseball in Texas. Yeah, I love this time of the year, man. The early college baseball time is just such a fun fun time to listen and watch your favorite teams for sure. Hey, if you ever get a chance, listen to Ferris on the Grand Canyon University uh, calls, the broadcasting. He's one of the best baseball broadcasters out there. So, get to make sure you don't uh, miss that. You can go to, it's, Lo- let's see, lopes.com. G- GCULopes.com. Just go to the schedule page, and all the home games for baseball are uh, broadcast live on GCU TV, so you can watch them and 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 hear me. And then uh, basketball will be wrapping up, but that's on the radio. But you can link to it all there. For I was GCU. hoping you had like a just a call that you always do. Like, got to be ready, man. With Jack Buck, you know, I can't believe what I just saw, or the Braves or the Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. You need to have a GCU call, man. Got to have what a catchphrase. That's catchphrase, right? You know, I've never been a catchphrase guy. I, I always find those a little hinky. Like, cause that, I can't believe what I just saw it wasn't really a catchphrase. It, it felt like it. it just came out of the moment. It you know? did, yeah, yeah. He I mean, said it, that. that that it was so natural. I mean, now Michaels has said he didn't say. Do you, he didn't think of? Do you believe in miracles? I, I mean, as the game progresses, as a play-by-play guy, you think through scenarios, right? When there's guys on, you remind yourself, oh, this guy's, you know, Mutton's on second. So if a base hit, I need to be ready to go. Oh, Mutton rounds third. You know, yeah. so you think that through. You think, man, if they score. What do I need to work into that call? You know, so I was needing to work in that it would be the first ever win for the stadium, but the first walk off. And it just naturally came out that, you know, on a ball that didn't go past 30 feet, you know, and that yeah. it kind of brought it all together. But yeah, Michaels was like, you know, I, he was like, oh, I got to, I got to do some of that stuff, um, you know, and have, have an idea of what I'm going to say about miracles or something. But it just kind of came out naturally, you know? Yeah, so awesome. Yeah, what a great game that was. So, yeah, the whole series, two out of those three games were just came down to the last inning with yeah, the walk-offs. Fun. Absolutely. Hey, uh, man, the story just broke in our sports medicine news here in our last few minutes here on Docs and Josh Sports Medicine Radio Show. The Eagles, Alshon Jeffries, you know, he's probably the best wide receiver for the Eagles this year, the Super Bowl championship year. He was t- found out that he had a rotator cuff tear early on in the season, actually preseason. He's in spring, not spring training. I'm in baseball in the mind right now. Preseason. He found out he had a rotator cuff tear. He went through the entire season with that rotator cuff tear, and now he's going to have surgery uh, after the Super Bowl to go ahead and fix it. But, man, what a difference that would have made had Alshon Jeffries decided to have that surgery when he found out he had the injuries yeah. opposed to waiting for the season. I don't think they make the Super Bowl. It's one thing to be down Carson Wentz. It's another thing to be down Carson Wentz and Alshon Jeffries. You take your best wide receiver and your best quarterback out of the situation, though Nick Foles was amazing. He had he hit the right time, the right – People keep talking about him like uh, he's going to get traded. Going to they're just going to cut him. I'm like, man, he won the Super Bowl. But anyway, it's amazing how good a season he had. But Alshon Jeffries had 19. He had 19. Uh, I'm sorry, 57 catches in 19 games. He had 789 uh, wide receiving yards, reception yards, and nine touchdowns with a torn rotator cuff. So I thought this would be a good time. And he caught the first touchdown in the in the Super Bowl, one of the biggest catches in the game. Yeah, they couldn't stop him the first uh-huh. the first uh, four or five drives of the Super Bowl. He was unbelievable. Yep. And so a rotator cuff tear, people say, well, is it going to be made worse if you play? Here's the situation. 
most of us walk around with some amount of a rotator cuff tear. Remember, your rotator cuff muscles are exactly what the name implies. They, they stabilize the movement, the rotation and movement in your shoulder. So there's four rotator cuff muscles. Remember, your shoulder's a great big ball sitting in a little bitty T. Those four muscles overwrap that ball. They hold it stable in the cup. And so at some point in time, if you lift, if you move your arm just wrong, if sometimes the way your shoulder is made when you go overhead, the bone rubs on the muscle, and you can cause a, a slight tearing of a rotator cuff muscle. So can people exist with a rotator cuff tear? Do you have to get every one of them fixed? And the answer is absolutely no. The only time you get a rotator cuff tear fixed is if it's causing you pain that you can't do the things that you want to do. And Alshon Jeffries instance if you can't catch a football without pain raising his arm overhead if you can't sleep on your shoulder at night because rotator cuff tears frequently give people such pain that they can't sleep at night or if you're losing function in other words you're losing strength because the tear is big enough or the pain is so severe that you can't use the arm and reaching out away from you those kinds of things so you can go through life with a rotator cuff tear and it be asymptomatic you don't even know you have it so Alshon Jeffries went through a football season with a rotator cuff tear it was able to have a very, very productive season. It helped the, the uh, Eagles win a Super Bowl, which they probably don't win without him. But it's one of those things people always say, oh, I – and it's the era we live in. We had Dr. James Andrews, the premier sports medicine doctor in the world, and he and I had a discussion about this, you and I and he, us two and Ferris. And we were talking about how MRIs are the end-all, be-all of medicine these days. Well, guess what? Yeah. You can have an MRI that shows you have a rotator cuff tear on your asymptomatic shoulder, and it doesn't mean you need to have surgery, right? So it all comes down to what you feel as far as how your symptoms are. It all comes back down to things like history, physical exam, all the stuff we used to do as doctors all the time before we had such good imaging uh, tests. But now we sometimes fall back on those a little too much, and it really comes down to patient care. Remember, we treat patients, Ferris, not pictures. So I always tell my patients that. I'm like, <laughs> because you, you know, yeah, in the lumbar spine too, in your lower back, you can have lots and lots of abnormalities that mean nothing if they don't give you pain. So people have MRIs done, shows a disc herniation in an area that they aren't having any pain. They're like, do I need to have surgery on that? I'm like, does it cause you any symptoms? What are your symptoms? None. All right, this will do anything to it. Let's just leave it alone. Maybe change our body mechanics and strengthen our core, but we're not going to do anything surgically to go in and try and repair something that isn't causing your symptoms at this time. That's the way you get into chronic pain. You have a surgery that's not needed, and then something really does go haywire. But Yeah. Yeah, the Eagles, do you think they win the uh, Super Bowl without Alshon Jeffries at wide receiver? No, I like that. I, I thought he was unstoppable. The, the first four or five drives, I was just like, man, what, what happened to this guy? Like, they, they could not guard him, couldn't cover him. He had a great, great game, but no, I, I mean, he was he was huge for them, and I It'll be interesting to see what happens with these quarterbacks. Still, I haven't, I haven't seen if Cousins got anywhere. You know, I haven't seen what the, what the Cardinals are going to do. Uh, you know, what um, our guy up in Minnesota. You know, if they're going to go with Teddy or they're going to stay. Um, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know what everybody's going to do. There's some really good quarterbacks who played really well who aren't thought of to be quote unquote starting quarterbacks in the league who got a chance and played really well. Yeah. So, you, you know, them, you, you know, know, the Cardinals ever since they struck, uh, you know, struck gold with. Uh, Kurt Warner, it seems like they've always went with the with veterans. Yeah, trying to bring, you know, the next great quarterback back out of retirement, whether it's Carson Palmer or whoever it is. But Kurt Warner, man, I mean, are the Cardinals, you think, going to draft somebody uh, out of the draft this year? Or you think they'll go with a Kirk Cousins and try that try I, it one I, more time? I think they'll try it one Well, I think they might do both. But I think they're going to try it one more time because I think they feel like they've got a good enough defense and they've got David Johnson coming back. And Fitz is coming back, I think, maybe, I guess, another year. So I think they feel like, 
they got to strike when the iron's hot. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald could probably play another five years if he wanted to. He takes such good care of himself, and he's so healthy, you know. And I think it'd be kind of fun to see because I do think he could play into his 40s. Like, I mean, didn't Jerry Rice like play and Tim Brown play past their 40s? Yeah. Um, and we're you know, good. We're productive. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're productive, right? And yeah. and Larry's still catching. He's still the best receiver on the team, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I I, I think the Cardinals feel like if they got like a Kirk Cousins. Or, or a Nick Foles, and he played like he did that last, you know, couple games on the stretch. They could make a run at it this year, but I think they will try to draft somebody to to groom too. Yeah, I, that's what they're saying. But you never know; these guys they go on these shows and they talk, and they're lying half the time. You know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, speaking of Fitz being they, around a long time, you know. Speaking of Fitz being around a long time, how long is football going to be around? California now becomes the fourth state in a month to propose banning youth tackle football. This follows Illinois, New York, and Maryland. These states are now looking at putting a minimum age of 13 before you play tackle football. So, I don't know, man. Football, you think that's good or bad? I think, actually, overall, it's a good thing. And I grew up – this is my experience. I grew up in a town. For whatever strange reason, my town played flag football, and it was a big sport until age 13. You played all the way through eighth grade, but like no tackle football. And then we went on and played tackle football in high school. Is age 13, like, generally – I mean, everybody develops differently, but is that generally considered when – I mean, why is it 13? Why are they saying 13? I think they're just saying they don't want to do it when your uh, brain is less mature and, you know, you're going to start playing football, you're going to start playing in high school. So it's partly when tackle football is going to start in high school and partly for a mature yeah. brain as well. So they're saying take away as many hits as you can early on. And the reason, once again, is because CTE research has found such, you know, young brains with CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the – pathology findings you see in brains who had multiple uh, mild traumatic brain injuries. And we were we were also discussing Dr. Ann McKee, who now she's the one that found 110 brains out of 111 had findings of CTE. But once again, it's kind of skewed because these were brains that were sent to her from families who felt like their loved ones had issues. So, right. man, I don't know. It's, we're going to be interested to see where football goes these next years. But, hey, I want to say thank you for all you guys who listen to Docs and Jocks, man. We really, really appreciate all of you being in our listening audience. Remember, you can listen to us anytime, anywhere on our iTunes podcast, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, Docs and Jocks. Love to be part of the show that way as well. For myself, Dr. Dan, a sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, as well as my co-host each week, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. We want to say have a great week. Find the place it is that you will exercise and get with that exercise and uh, start doing it routinely. You will feel so much better for it. And if you ever want to find out more about the Forge Abilene, go to forgeabilene.com. Hey, we'll see you from all of us here at Docs and Jocks. We'll see you next week.